So before I was a Christian, I don't think I read a complete book all the way through. When I was in high school, we had these little things called cliff notes. I don't know what the equivalent would be here in Great Britain, but there's these little, these little sort of leaflets that kind of give you a synopsis to a, a, a book, and they were meant to be a, a supplement. So like when you were doing literature, English literature or American literature, you would read the book that you were assigned, and then when you needed to kind of understand and maybe write a report on it, you'd read the cliff notes. Well, I just only read the cliff notes. I just ignored, basically, the, the, the main text of the book because I didn't like to read. I thought it was a bit boring. I did read Surfer Magazine, but that was about it. So, so I was never a really a reader until I became a Christian. And when I became a Christian, really, literally like five minutes after I had received the Lord as my Savior, someone said, you know, what you really need to begin is you need to read one of these Gospels. You need to read, the, I think they gave me the Gospel of Matthew. Read this. Here's some questions to help you understand it and then come back to us. And so I said, okay. So I read the Gospel of Matthew, and I answered the questions. Now what do I do? Read the next Gospel. Read Mark. Okay. So I read the Gospel of Mark. And then I ended up reading through Luke, and then John. I didn't know what to do next, so I started over again and wrote Matthew, read Matthew, and Mark, and Luke, and John. And then I ventured eventually into the book of Acts. And, and the more that I was reading of the Scripture, as a person who didn't read, the more I realized how how this was something different. This book was something different than anything else I'd ever read or avoided reading. This book was living. This book was alive. This, this was a, a, an instrument through which God speaks. And, and it was really beginning to blow my mind. And then I ventured out of Acts and I read the book of Romans. And Romans changed my life. Because as I read through the book of Romans, I began to realize all these questions that I had in my head like, what about those who've never heard the gospel? Or, or how, do I, how do I know that, you know, when they say that God's chose me, how does that actually work? And, and so, so what do I do now? What's my relationship to other, other believers? And how does that fit with me being, being a Jesus follower? And all these things Paul kind of systematically lays out in the book of Romans. And I was hooked. I thought, this book is amazing. Now, I've been feeding on that book ever since. But I do know that a lot of us can be, even as Christians, those of us who claim to follow Jesus, we can be, well, like I was in high school, just give me the cliff notes. <laughs> give, sum, up, sum it up for me, John. I don't want to make it too complicated. And in doing so, we miss something incredibly vital to being a Jesus follower. Because being a Jesus follower means we are hungry for His Word. We're hungry for what God has spoken. Now, what we're looking at in John chapter 8 is a situation where Jesus, is, as always or as often, was in conflict with the religious leaders of his day. He did the things that they should have expected the Messiah to do, that is, God's chosen king to do. He showed that he had authority over creation. He showed that he had authority over evil spirits. He showed that he had authority over sickness. He even had authority over death. He resurrected people from the dead. He raised people from the dead. He, he declared to have the authority to forgive sins, something that Jews would have thought only God can do. And they were right. So he declared and, and demonstrated all the authority that they should have expected the Messiah, God's chosen king, to demonstrate. And yet they refused to actually take that step to believe that he is who he said he is. So they would constantly kind of question him and, and, and kind of corner him and trying to see if they could trip him up to find a reason why, aha, that's why we don't need to believe in him. So in John 8, we're in that, that similar situation. 
And they're wanting to know, well, just who are you? And he's already told them many times that he was the Messiah. He's made it clear he's the Messiah. But they're asking again, who are you? And when we pick it up in verse 28, this is what Jesus says. He says to these people, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself, but as the Father has taught me, I speak these things. Literally, it says, when you lift me up, you will know that I am. Now, when the Jews heard this, when they heard him say this, they were probably thinking in their mind, lift up means like exalt. When you finally exalt me and recognize me as God's chosen king, then you'll know that I'm the one that the Father sent. That's probably what they're thinking, but we know from John's gospel that that's not what Jesus means. Remember from last week when we looked at John chapter 3, Jesus used this phrase, lifted up, didn't he? In John 3, 14, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And then later on in John chapter 12, John makes it really plain for us because Jesus says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This, he said, John tells us, signifying by what death he would die. And so Jesus is saying to them, even if they don't fully get it at this point, he says, when you lift me up, when you crucify me, then you'll recognize that the Father sent me. Interesting. We want to talk today about this reality of what we call the informational aspect of discipleship. Remember, discipleship is really about us learning to follow Jesus and help others follow Jesus. And that is the very heart of all that we do as a church. We want to be a church that is a disciple-making church. We don't want to just gather Christians together for Bible studies and music and food, which we're all doing today, which is great. But that's not the point. That's a means to the end. The end is to help all of you be those who can follow Jesus and help other people follow Jesus. That we would be the kind of people that are helping one another follow Jesus. That's what we mean by a culture of discipleship. And so what we're talking about today is this informational aspect of discipleship. The fact that to be a Jesus follower means that we are developing a hunger for His Word. We see what God, Jesus has said, has authority. We want to follow after Him. We want to understand what it is He said and why it is He said it. And here, Jesus wanting to answer the question, who he is, he says, listen, you're going to understand who I am. You're going to understand the plan that my Father has for his world when I am crucified. Interesting. The Apostle Paul would later talk about the importance of Christ's crucifixion in this way. Listen to this. I'm reading from the New Living Translation because I like the way it paraphrases. It says, for Christ didn't send me to baptize. This is Paul writing. But to preach the good news. And not with clever speech for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. So Paul tells the church in Corinth, I don't want to try to wow you with cool words. I don't want to be a per really super persuasive. I just want to keep it really simple and really clear for you. What I, my message to you is God's message to us. That's Jesus Christ who came to be crucified, resurrected, and ascended for us. The cross. You see, when we want to understand what God's plan is for the world, why, why has God made this world? What is God doing in this world? Why is God still allowing suffering in this world? When we want to answer those questions, we look to the cross. 
We look at the cross of Jesus, and at the cross of Jesus we see, okay, what's going on? We see a God who is entering into our suffering. We see a God who, who doesn't just say, oh, that looks really tough for you guys. Oh, I'm sorry, I have a bit of compassion on you. No, more than that, we see a God who adds to his deity humanity, who takes on human flesh and lives the kind of life that we have to live and suffers every kind of suffering we suffer and is tempted at all points the way we're tempted, yet never sins. Even to the point when when those who are crucifying, these very Jews who should recognize him as the Messiah, when they're crucifying him, he says on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The cross clarifies God's plan for us. This is why when Paul says in 1 Corinthians, later on in 1 Corinthians, he talks about, I want to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the center part of his message. That's why we always go back to that. No matter where we are in the scripture, it goes back to Jesus, specifically about his crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, and return. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 29, he says, he who, and he who sent me, speaking of the Father, um, is with me, he says. The Father has not left me, for I always do those things that please him. Now, I want you to think about this claim. Now, the Jews were those who, who really saw the importance of obeying God's commands. They knew that God gave them as a people His Ten Commandments. That was the basis of God's covenant with His people, Israel. And so they saw, okay, our adherence to these Ten Commandments is crucial. And not just the Ten Commandments, but all the Old Testament law, all the five books of, of Moses, plus all what the prophets said about those five books according to what we need to know. We have to obey these things. And not just that, we have to obey whichever rabbis we think are teaching those things best. We've got to do what they say. So they saw obedience as hugely important. And there'd be a rare Jewish person who would say, I always please my Heavenly Father. So when Jesus makes this claim, here's the perfect opportunity to say, Aha, actually, you've done this disobedient thing. But it doesn't happen. He's basically saying, I always please the Father. Tell me where I haven't done it. He's basically setting himself up, saying, look, you can examine my life, and you can see, look, how have I obeyed the Father? How have I obeyed what the Scripture has said about our God? And they couldn't accuse him of anything. And this is important. Because Jesus' obedience confirms the relationship that he claimed to have with God the Father. That when he claims to be God's only begotten son, he doesn't just reveal that in the powerful things he does that only God could do. He reveals that in the character and in, in being perfectly obedient to his father. In fact, it was this character that really persuaded his audience because it says in verse 30, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. No one's questioning that he's pleasing the father. And they're going, wow, yeah. He always does please the Father. Another part in, in, the, in the gospel says, he does all things well, speaking of Jesus. Interesting, in John chapter 10, a couple chapters over, the Jews are really angry at Jesus, and so it says in verse 31 of John chapter 10, and the Jews took up stones again to stone him. They want to kill him with stones. 
And Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of the works do you stone me? This is what they said. Then Jesus answered, or the Jews answered Jesus, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. In other words, they're saying, Okay, we're not saying you haven't done good works. We're not saying we see you do bad works, except you keep claiming to be equal with God, and that's blasphemy. And they're right. It's blasphemous for a man to claim equality with God unless he is. The thing that we want to understand here, guys, is that Jesus is trying to make it clear to these people that he's the primary message that the Father is giving. Jesus is the primary message of the Scriptures. The reason we take so much time to unpack the Bible, verse upon verse, chapter upon chapter, book upon book, is because, not because we want you to have a bunch of information in your head, not because we want you to be clever Christians, but because we want you to see Jesus, that He's the answer. He's the message that God has for us. Now, these guys are beginning to see, well, okay, His, his character really does persuade us. He, he, he fits the description of the Messiah. And so Jesus says to them, verse 31, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, if you abide in My word, you are My disciples indeed. Abide. What does it mean to Abide. To abide literally means to make your home in. So you, when you go on vacation, you're not abiding, you're visiting. But when you come back for, uh, from vacation and you're home, you're abiding, you're at home. That's where you abide. It's where you live. It's your place of residence. It's your shelter. It's the place where you have life. It's the place where you get rest. So when Jesus is talking about abiding, he means when you make your home in my words, then you're my disciples indeed. Now, we've got to understand something here. This is a big claim. Jesus is claiming not just to be the Messiah, but to speak words equal to God's words. That's how the Jews would have understood this. And this is how the people that first followed Jesus would have understood this. In fact, the author of Hebrews writes this. Listen to this. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews starts his, his book this way. He says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. In other words, what the author of Hebrews is saying is Jesus is God's final word to us. This is what he has to say to us. This is what he wants us to know. Guys, listen, you, you need to understand something. If you, if you want to be a Jesus follower, if you claim to be a Jesus follower, to be a Jesus follower is to believe that God's actually spoken. He's made his will known. He's made himself known through the scriptures and most importantly through Jesus Christ himself. Now, it's important to also know this would include the words of his apostles. Because Jesus, when he's praying for us and his apostles in, in John 17, 20, he says, I do not just pray for the apostles alone, but for those who will believe in me, notice, through their word. Jesus expects that people are going to come to faith in him through what the apostles say. That that's going to hold weight, that's going to have authority, that's what he expects. And so it's important that we understand this. This is what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to abide in his word. Now, let me be really clear about something. You can know the scriptures and not know Jesus. 
Listen to what Jesus says again to the Jewish religious leaders. He says, you search the scriptures, he says to them, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. One of the things that sometimes I get concerned with about our church is that because we make such an emphasis on God's Word and people like to come and hear the teaching of God's Word, that they can be content just to know God's Word and never know the God of the Word, never know the Jesus of Scripture. Interesting, remember what Jesus did after he resurrected when he meets the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? You guys remember this? In Luke chapter 24, it says, In the resurrected Jesus said to his disciples, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And it says, In beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, this is really important for you to get, okay? When we're talking about being Jesus followers, we're talking about the informational aspect of this, and you need to know, you can know the Scriptures without knowing Jesus, but you can't know Jesus without knowing the Scripture. It's amazing. We're we're hearing testimonies right now of countries where the gospel can't legally penetrate, specifically Muslim countries where they can't legally bring the gospel in, and, and there are Muslim people that are coming to the end of themselves and thinking, if, if, if Allah be God, I'm damned because I know, they know they're not good enough to approach this God, this perfect God. And they're crying out of desperation, Allah have mercy on me. They're crying out to a false God, but the true God hears their prayers and is giving them visions. You know what? Of, of somebody coming to tell them about Jesus. Or visions of Jesus himself saying, I'm going to send someone to tell you about me. Isn't that interesting? Not just, hey, I'm Jesus, believe in me, but I'm going to send you someone to tell you about me. This happens over and over again. Why? Because God wants to make himself known through his word. Now, this is not separate from the work of the Spirit, from that work of transformation that we talked about last week. This is what the Holy Spirit does. The, the word of God is called the sword of the Spirit. That the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and reveals to us who Jesus is and why we should trust Him and how we can trust Him, what it looks like to follow Him. We need the Word of God. Abiding, listen, is our primary responsibility. We're called to make our home in the Word of God, to know that's the place where we meet Jesus, you might say. That's the place for family dinner with you and Jesus at home in the scriptures. Now it's interesting because he goes on to say a really famous verse, verse 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now this is interesting because a lot of people know this verse and we often quote this verse like you shall know the truth and truth shall make you free and it's all by itself, right? As long as I know what truth is, I'll be free, okay? Whose truth? What truth? Jesus is being really clear here. The truth of his word. What liberates us? What he says liberates us. What helps us to know him? Because interesting, a few chapters later on in John's gospel, Jesus will say, I am the truth. And he says, you will know the truth. You'll have a relationship with the truth. You'll recognize the truth. 
When? When you abide in His Word. See, abiding develops relationship and liberty. When we learn to, 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 to be at home in the Scriptures, to understand what God has said, when we learn to rest and meet God there in the Scriptures, you know what happens? We learn to know this God, to love this God, to trust this God, and we learn what it means to be free from our sin, to walk away from things that keep us from knowing Him. Now, let's talk about what abiding looks like because this is really important. Let's get really practical. What does it mean to abide in the Scriptures? The first thing is this. Listen, to abide in the Scriptures means to listen with discernment, to listen with discernment. So right now, as I'm preaching to you or if Adam's up here preaching to you, when you're hearing the Word of God taught, if you're watching something on television or listening to something on the radio, it's very important that you're listening with discernment. You're not just assuming what's being told to you is accurate. We, we, Luke writes to us in the book of Acts. He talks about, uh, in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, talks about these, these people in Berea, in the little village of Berea. It says that the Bereans were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and search the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things are so. One of the reasons why we read the text before we preach the text is so that you can see the text in its context. One of the reasons why what we usually do is teach through whole books of the Bible at a time is so that you can see the whole context of a whole book of the Bible, so you can understand what's going on there. We're trying to teach you how to discern if what we're preaching is good or not. We don't want you to take our word for it. We want you to listen with discernment. When we say, hey, if you have any questions, ask questions. If you have any concerns, bring them to us. Not because we're just trying to be nice and politically correct and say, look at us, aren't we open and humble? No, because we might get it wrong. And we all have a responsibility as those who are called by Jesus to abide in the Scriptures to listen with discernment. This is especially true because we live in a day and age where there is so much information out there. There's so much information on the internet, on television, on the radio, and let's be honest, a lot of it's bogus. But how do you know? How do you filter through what's good or what's not good? You go back to the Scriptures, you see if these things are so. Listen with discernment. Don't believe just because we tell you this is true, this is true. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. Read as worship. Don't treat your Bible reading time as just something that's intellectual. See it as a time of worship. Remember that famous story in, in Luke chapter 10 of Mary and Martha? Martha's busy all over the place, really stressing out over work. I can relate. And what happens? It says, it was Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. And what did Jesus say about Mary when Martha says, Big Mary, help me. Jesus says, one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. See, Mary wasn't just engaging in some sort of intellectual exercise. She was worshiping at the feet of her Lord. She was wanting to hear what he had to say. That should be the attitude that we have when we come before God in Scripture. The reason we create an annual Bible reading plan for us as a church is not because we don't think you're capable of finding your own Bible reading plan or because we're trying to put some sort of a law or legalistic trip on you. We give that to you as an opportunity, as just a tool that you can use or not use so you can worship. 
So you can read as worship. You can follow after God, seek after Jesus as worship. So abiding the Scripture means you read as worship, but also, listen, it means you desire it as food. You need to feed on what God says. What does Peter say in 1 Peter chapter 2? Peter says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now i got to say about little Jasper, that, that little dude can eat. We were over there for a meal not too long ago, and he just ate the entire, that's why he's so happy. He just ate the entire time we were there. I mean, he, never, he just kind of swelled up and swelled up, and he just kept eating and eating. This is the kind of hunger we're supposed to have for the Word. As a newborn babe, feed me. Yes, I need this food. This is how we should be with God's Word. God, feed me. I just need to nurse. I need to get whatever I can get from you. We should feed on it as food. Lastly, if we're going to abide in the Scriptures, listen, we should be meditating on it for stability. Here's what I mean. Look at what, listen to what the psalmist writes in Psalm chapter 1. He says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates. That means to think about over and over, kind of chew on mentally. He meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in, in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he, whatever he does shall prosper. What happens to a tree when it's planted next to a river? Its roots go deep, it's healthy, it's strong, its branches are able to bear much fruit. Stability. Where does that come from? As we don't just... <laughs> As we don't just listen with the sermon or read as worship or desire as food, but we actually meditate. We're chewing on what we have. Can I make just a really quick practical suggestion? Find a Bible reading plan that allows you to have a pace where you can meditate. A lot of people read the Bible in a year. That works great for a lot of people. For me, it's too fast. I read through the New Testament every year, and it takes me about two or three years to go through the Old Testament. Because as I'm reading through a chapter or two chapters, things will hit me, and I'll often write those things in my journal and then go back and just think about those things. If I have to read like four chapters, man, it's never, I'm never going to get there. And so for me, so I can meditate, so I can think about what I'm reading, I have, to sl- I have to slow down a little bit. Maybe for you, all you can handle is, you know, the New Testament in a year and maybe one other book of the Old Testament a year. That's all you can handle. That's okay. As long as you are doing this, you're abiding in the Scripture, you're just seeing the value of abiding in God's Word, being at home in God's Word. That's the case. Now, so Jesus wants us to understand, He wants these, these guys to understand that abiding is their primary responsibility. And as He says, look, you're going to know this stuff, it's going to set you free. Here's what, he said, here's what they say to Him. They answered Jesus, verse 38, I'm sorry, verse 33. They answered Him, we are Abraham's descendants and have been in bondage and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say we'll be made free? So remember, these are, these are Jewish people and they're saying, look, we are descendants of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anybody. Does anybody know enough about history to know whether or not that's true? The, the Jews were slaves to the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, and the time this is written, they're basically, uh, they're not exactly slaves, but they're basically under Roman rule. They were slaves all the time. 
Now, what, what they're probably thinking is, okay, we think Jesus is getting at spiritual slavery. And so there's probably this idea that they're thinking, no, 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 I'm no slave to sin. I, you know, I'm not in bondage to sin. I can choose to sin or choose not to sin. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of Abraham's seed, you know? Interesting, because really what they're doing here by saying we are Abraham's seed, and that's what it literally is, the sentence is seed there. By saying we're Abraham's seed, they're actually misapplying something that God has said in the Old Testament. They're talking about probably the, the promises in Genesis 22. But the truth is, Paul makes us clear what this talks about in Galatians chapter 3. Listen to this. Paul says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of the many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. In other words, what what Paul made it clear about, and what Jesus is kind of hinting to these guys about, is listen, you're not getting it. Just because you're a descendant of Abraham, you're you're a physical descendant of Abraham, does not mean that this promise is for you, plural. This promise is through you in the Messiah, in Jesus. That's where the promise is. This is really important. It's important because what Jesus is wanting us to understand about this, the informational aspect of discipleship, about us being those who know God's word well, is the end game is for us to be free. For us to actually experience what it means to be free from our sin. And that's not going to happen, listen, if we are, are blind to our own bondage the way the Jews were. They were completely blind that they were slaves to their sin. So Jesus has to make it clear. And interesting, the way Jesus says it here, it's not just saying it about the Jews. He makes sure, he he says it in such a way that it applies to all of us. He says in verse 34, Jesus answered, Most truly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Anybody here ever committed a sin? Anyone? A few of you brave enough to admit that, yeah. We've all done it. It's amazing. You know, we didn't teach our kids to sin. But they, man, they're like experts right off the bat. Now, they got that from us. <laughs> they inherited our sin nature, which we inherited from our parents, which always goes all the way back to our original parents, Adam and Eve. But still, they chose to sin just like I've chosen to sin and you've chosen to sin. And that choosing to sin shows that we are indeed slaves to our sin. See, most of us here, probably none of us here really, have ever experienced real human slavery. I hope none of you have. And if you have, gosh, my heart breaks for you. And I hope we can minister to you. So we don't really understand fully. We have maybe an idea of how horrible it would be to be somebody else's slave. To have a master that would beat us and abuse us and oppress us. We have a hard time understanding that as kind of normal Western people. But it's interesting Many of us have come to a point in our lives where we realized, man, I am a slave to my sin. Maybe nobody else knows about my sin, but I know about my sin, and I see what it's doing in my life. I see how it's destroying me. Whether that sin is greed, or lust, or pride, or selfishness, whatever that sin is, I am a slave. I want you to think about this. Think about how We, all of us, have a standard, whether we're Christians or not. Everyone here today, whether you believe in Jesus yet or not, all of you have a standard by which you try to live your life. You you have things that you think are right and things that you think are wrong, and you think, this is the way we should live. And if you're honest, you don't even meet your own standard. You don't even meet your own standard. Why? 
because you're a slave to sin like the rest of us. This is our problem as humanity. And Jesus is saying to us, listen, he's saying, he's saying to us, look, every human is a slave to sin, and this is why I'm coming to bring freedom. I'm coming to free you from your sin. I heard an old wise preacher once say that this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. I think one of the reasons why we tend to stay away from Scripture, even those of us who claim to be Jesus followers, is because one of the things that Scripture does is expose us. It's like a mirror. We think that, that our face is spotless, our hair is perfect. Perfect, yes. And then we look in the mirror and go, oh man, maybe not so much. We don't want to be reminded of how we actually look. The Word of God exposes us, and we don't want to be exposed. But do you understand why the Word of God exposes us? It exposes our slavery so that we would cry out to God who sets us free. It shows us what it means to be free. It invites us to begin to learn to walk in that liberty. That's why God's given us His Word. This is what Jesus wants to bring to these guys. Then in verse 35, he says, A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Some of your versions might say, The slave does not abide forever in the house forever, but the son abides forever. And that's actually a better translation because the definite article is before both those words. The slave. The one who's just a servant, he doesn't get to abide, but it's the son. In other words, the key to freedom is sonship. It's actually being a child of God. That's the key to freedom. That's why Jesus says, therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Do you realize, for you to be a child of God requires the only begotten son of God to make a way for you to be adopted. That's what the scripture teaches. We're not children of God. We are creations of God. We have value that we, because we've been made in the image of God, whether we're Christians or not. We have value because we're those for whom Christ died. But we're only children of God as we're adopted in the God's family. And we can only be adopted in the God's family because God the Son came and died for us and rose from the dead and made a way for us so that we can repent of our sins and put our faith in Him and be adopted into his family. That's the only way. It's the Son who sets us free. Maybe what's keeping you from freedom is you refuse to turn to the Son. You're all here today for whatever reason. Maybe you came because it was a bring and share. We're glad. Please stay. Enjoy the food. Maybe you're here just as a guest. Someone invited you. But whatever reason you have for being here, the reason God has you here is He wants you to know freedom. He wants you to know what it means to be set free from your sin. Only Jesus can remove the guilt of our sin. It's Jesus who we've sinned against. It's God who we've sinned against. Only Jesus can break the power of sin in our life. Listen, I'm not standing here saying, I'm a Christian now, I'm sinless, but I can tell you this, God is in the business of breaking the sin in my life, and he loves me so much, he won't let me get away with sin. 
And the Holy Spirit continues to show me over and over again as I abide in his word how good he is, how sufficient the cross is, how faithful God is to his promises, and what happens when I believe those things. What it means to walk in those things. And I'm being set free by this. See, the Jews couldn't see it. They couldn't admit that they were in bondage. Therefore, guess what? They couldn't be set free. This is why Paul writes this, and I'm almost done, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, but even to this day, when Moses, that would be the Old Testament, is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, finish it. There is liberty. There's liberty. 